you go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 13. We're going to finish this by next week. Uh, And January 8th, we're going to finish the last part of Mark 13. And then we're going to go to 14, 15, and 16 by the the end of April. And so it's been uh, a wild ride. Uh, It's been a lot of fun just to, to be together uh, as a church, to, to go through the book of Mark, to, to look at the life of Jesus. It makes me actually want to go back into another gospel after this, but let's just take a few years uh, before we do that, and then um, we'll see what happens. But uh, it has just been awesome to see the, the, the words on this page. We know all of Scripture is, is God-breathed. We know all of Scripture is, is, uh, is God's very word, um, and it's inspired. It's, uh, it is without error. It's authoritative for every part of our life. Um, but we, I, I do love to see the words of Christ, the, the, the red letters in my Bible to see exactly what he said and what he did. Um, and just to fall in love with Jesus. It's been a great year and a half or by the time we're finished with it all. Uh, a little over that, actually. And so, but I'm excited to, to journey with you throughout the, the rest of this time uh, as we talk about Jesus returning uh, let's just be a faithful church. Let's be a faithful church, right? Uh, we're, we, we don't, I mean, the, as, as I was studying this, uh, there, there are other views uh, to the rapture. There's other views to the tribulation. There's other views to who the Antichrist is. And there's lots of different views of the millennium. Uh, but we know that, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna argue those. This isn't a seminary class. I could give you great recommendations and books, but I wanna keep this simple, um, this is the end time teachings part two. And if you're taking notes, I want to give you three different headings to kind of guide us along here. Number one, we need to watch and wait for the Antichrist. Watch and wait for the Antichrist. Number two, we're going to make sense of who he is and what he does. And number two, watch and wait for the tribulation. We're going to also make sense. What is the tribulation? What happens during the tribulation? Some say the church is raptured before the tribulation comes. Some say the church is going to go through the tribulation. Some say the church is raptured through the mid part of the tribulation, which is seven year, three and a half years midway through, and then, and then it'll be literally hell on earth for the next three and a half years, and the church will not be there. Again, there's different views um, for this. And then lastly, what we want to see is the Lord's rescue of his people. There's a promise. And, and I want you guys to be able to pay attention and be good students of the Word of God. This will maybe feel a little bit more like a Bible study in a way. There'll be some preaching parts, but an application, of course. But I want you guys to be able to take some good notes, uh, get the scriptures. Again, you can, if you want my notes, that's fine. You can look over those, and you can look up the scriptures on your own. I always give those away for free. It's fine. I mean, just take them. Um, it's, it's my pleasure to spend time throughout the week studying the Word of God and then, uh, and then being able to, uh, you know, see the bread being baked and for people to eat that fresh bread in the morning. Um, and we just know that, uh, that it does take some, some time and effort to work through the different commentaries and whatnot, but these are tricky passages. It's not easy, but I want to say this. Let's pay attention to what Jesus says. Let's pay attention to what he says. Let's always make sure that when we, when we, before we open up a commentary, let's study the word of God first. Even if, even if you have a study, uh, study Bible, it's quick like, okay, what's, the, what's, the stu- what's, what's MacArthur say? Or what's, uh, what, you know, what, what's the ESV guy say? You know, the scholars say first. We, we need to make sure that we look at the scriptures first. That's very important because we have the very Bible, the scriptures, what Jesus actually said in our hands. And we should never take that for granted. Amen? All right. So the first part, we're just going to kind of give as a way of an intro. Jesus is talking about the end times. And last week we talked about how it was partially fulfilled and that uh, Jesus says that the temple will be destroyed one day. And it did happen in AD 70. So by the time he was talking, it was probably around uh, the early 30s, late 20s. Uh, 29, 30, 31, somewhere around that time, he was, he was speaking to his disciples. And then about 40 years later, uh, this came into play. I mean, the, the temple was literally destroyed. The Romans came in and uh, into Jerusalem and sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, left the place in flames, and many people died and perished during those times. But then they asked the question, 
to Jesus. He's saying, they said, when will these things uh, take place? When will the end times happen? When will we see your return? And of course, he says, you know, I, I don't know the time, and uh, I, I can't give you any dates. Be very careful of anyone giving you any, any dates. I've had people actually within the last several years give me their prediction that, hey, we're starting to enter in the tribulation. We're going to enter in the last seven years, all this kind of stuff. I mean, there's crazy stuff on YouTube that we need to be very careful of. Be very careful of what people send you. This is the guy. I know this, is, this has to be the Antichrist, or this has to be the beginning of the end right now. We've been in, we've been in the beginning of the end for 2,000 years. Literally, we have. They believed that Jesus' Jesus' imminent return would happen at any time, 2,000 years ago. And then you look at the reformers, and they believed it. And then you look at the time in the the, the revivals of the 1800s, they believed it. And then in the 1900s, I mean, they believed it at every century, every every decade that came every year. People in in church history believed that Jesus was going to come back, and that's exactly what we need to believe, that Jesus is going to come back. But there are some things that he's telling us that if you were to see some of these things happen, it would let you know that the end is very near, very near. So what does he say that's going to happen? What's, what, there's going to be an increase of false teachers. There's going to be an increase of false messiahs. There's going to be increase of wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be an increase of earthquakes and famine. And then, of course, there's going to be an increase in persecution. And an increase in persecution in three different levels, right? We remember them? The government... Religious people, like the, the, and sometimes that's the worst, from, from our own, the persecution. People that disagree with us doctrinally. And then lastly, and this is sad, but yes, there will be people that will be put to death even by their own families. And, and two weeks ago, we talked about that there's 300 people a day that die for their faith. That's crazy. But we need to remember that there are martyrs now and, and someone was saying, man, there's going to be mass persecution in America. Oh, we need to be prepared, be prepared. Well, let, okay, if you were to interview, if you could interview someone in North Korea, and they would, if you ask somebody in North Korea, a believer, what's going on, they'd be like, the Antichrist is our leader. And we, we, are, we are perishing under his rule and reign. They have a different perspective, don't they? While we're just like kind of sipping lattes in the middle of America free as a bird, right? It's true. And that's exactly what people in other countries would say, that we are in the end times. And maybe perhaps my leader is the Antichrist because they're killing people for faith, not wars, but for my faith. There are martyrs and we need to remember them and they will be the most honored in heaven. The most honored. So, and also, not only will we see an increase of all these things, but the second thing he says last, uh, in a couple weeks ago, right? He said, we will be his witnesses around the world. He wants us to go to Rome. He wants us to go, I, I, I just got a, a text message from, from our friends in Sweden. He's like, hey, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to send this out to, I only had, I, I had to send this out to 10 of my friends. I was so honored that he picked me as one of his friends. I didn't know, but we, when we took 100 people to Sweden, we had such an impact there that they, the people in Sweden have visited us on our turf. And, and they're like, well, forget Disney. We just want to visit you guys. We want to be around your church. We had such an impact in Sweden for that. We were 100 people there. And, and so Ricard, uh, he, he had texted me. He said, hey, I'm going to be on uh, Christian television in front of 80,000 people, and I would love for you to send a video on uh, kind of the word of the year, like give me an encouragement for the year. And we just gave him Jesus' family mission and a, and a greetings on behalf of Antioch, Orlando. And I would love to go back there. I would love to, I, I was like, hey, if there's, if you got any housing out in Sweden or Norway, I, I, I'm, I'd, I'd love to find out if there's any vacancies. You know? <laughs> but I would love to go back to Sweden. Love, I love Scandinavia. It'd be wonderful for an opportunity for a door to open up. And you know what, Paul, Paul asked the church to pray for that. Pray for open doors so that we might go. We might go to these places. Don't ever give that up. And I'm like, oh, you know what, what about? If you have a heart for Japan, I, 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 we thought about literally in one trip in Rome, we're going to Rome, right? Nicole and I tried to figure, maybe on the front end, 
We can go to England. We can see other English reformers. We could kind of see, well, that was not her plan, my plan. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I want to be able to go to England at some point. I'm reading through this stuff, you know, the English Reformation and the time of Whitfield. It's like, I want to see these places. I want to see where the X marks the spot at Oxford University where, where, where uh, Latimer and Ridley were burned at the stake right there in 1500s. That's, I want to be there. But if Lord willing. But then also on the back end, maybe we could go to Sweden and Japan and, and see some of the people. It'd be great. It'd be like a little tour. It'd be awesome. Hold that in your heart. And because, I mean, if those are places that you've been to and you're praying for those nations and you want to be there and you want to be with those people, do that. Pray for those people. That's a wonderful thing. God will honor that prayer. And I've been so encouraged by the, by the way by prayer. It's been incredible to see God answer prayer. If you spend more time in prayer, he'll answer those prayer. He will answer those prayers, and a lot of which that we don't re- we don't we don't receive because we don't ask, right? James says that, and so start asking for those. Like Lord, give us Sweden, give us give us Rome this year, give us this give us Japan. I mean, Japan doesn't. Have, I mean, I just got an email the other day. This is a bunny trail. I know, <laughs> but it, it's all under the heading of be his witnesses around the world, but. So if you can't maybe go to these places, we can give. And TMAI right now, I mean, they're, they're in need of, of people's money so, so that they can, they can actually produce resources because they don't have them. They don't have the, they, they don't have the commentary sets that we have here. They don't, they don't have the, 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 the resources, the theological resources, the systematic theologies. They don't have those things like we have. And so if you go into even on their website, TMAI, and look at their publishing uh, vision that they have. It's incredible. Just the, the fact that pastors in Japan can have, you know, a, a Romans commentary, and it's like the only commentary they have. They do like a treasure it. You know, it's like their Bible, their Japanese Bible, and then they have like one commentary that's actually good. It's not some crazy, kooky, charismatic, prosperity gospel that's going to lead their whole church into a ditch. This is important stuff. I mean, we, we, we take for granted all the time. You just go to Bright Light Bookstore. We can go to you know, we can, we're bringing, actually, we're bringing 30 copies of John MacArthur's book on Isaiah 53, his exposition of that in Spanish, when we bring, we're bringing that to Rome as a gift to the Spanish-speaking pastors. And that's coming out of a lot of the offerings that you give on Sunday morning. That's amazing. You're going to bless the, their socks off. And it's, it's such a delight and a joy to be like the Apostle Paul, right? Taking t- something from their homeland, their home church, and taking it on an airplane not like walking to the next location or taking some crazy ship, you know, and getting shipwrecked, but Lord willing, we'll make it across the Atlantic Ocean <laughs> and we'll be able to give them these books. What a delight. And then we get to actually take, I think there's 168 people signed up for this summer to go to Rome. And I, I, if I have the numbers correctly, just nod your head if I'm correct, not, shake your head if I'm not. But I think there's 68 people that are gonna be on the ground for six weeks. That's incredible. That's going to be an incredible time in Rome. We're going to definitely impact that nation. So begin, to, if, you're, if you haven't set your alarm, set your alarms for 555 and, and, and believe. We set your alarm for whatever. I mean, if you have, 20, you know, whatever time you want to. Uh, 2414, you know, just, just uh, set, set, your, set your alarm for, for uh, like a, a 1214 midnight. Just wake up at midnight. Start praying for the nations, right? Okay. Well, anyways, um, why, don't we, why don't we move on? So <laughs> Mark 13, and we're going to start with uh, verse 14, 13, 14. And I'm going to read all the way through verse 23, and then we'll stop there. It says this. So Jesus is continuing. So he's saying this is what needs, needs to happen. So I love that, that he gives us what is going to happen, the, the, the increases of all these things, uh, the false teachings and all that. But then he also says, you're going to be my witnesses. And then he has more to say. And this is, he's going to continue part two of his end times teaching right here. Verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, Mark adds, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house. There's an urgency here. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of creation, which God created until now and never will. 
unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those are believers, who he chose, he shortened the days. He had mercy. And then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Even the elect, even Christians will be swayed by these people. So he's warning them now because they like to take advantage of people. They want their money. They want their following. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. I love the fact that Jesus takes time to answer their question and to tell us in advance that, hey, look, these things are going to happen. And it's almost like, you know, like when maybe some of your dads or your mom sat you down and said, this is what could happen when you go to college. I remember Nicole's grandfather and grandmother sat her down and said, this is, you know, what could happen when you go to college. Be careful of boys, right? Be careful of these things. No, no, let no one take advantage of you. And so he, he's telling it like, because I, because, you know, Jesus, God has been there in the future in a way. I mean, God knows when, what things are going to happen. He knows exactly everything that's going to happen. He knows when the end. And so he backs up and he says, look, this is what's going to happen in advance. And I want to tell you so that you're not duped. So you're not, you don't go astray. You're not swept away with the rest of the world. And there's going to be mass hysteria. It's going to be crazy. And you're going to want to be level-headed. You're going to want to be a Psalm 1 and 2 people. When everybody's following the Antichrist, you're going to follow the king. When everyone's going off the deep end, you're going to want to go the right way. Amen? See how, see how the scriptures work together, even? And that was a, largely in part why I wanted to even go through the Psalms, because I want, I want, I just, I'm, I'm wanting, I want to venture. I want to see how the, 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 the prayer hour also fits with the preaching hour. And that's just exactly what the Lord, through the power of the Spirit, how he weaves all those things together. Let the listener, I love what Mark said, let the reader understand. Let the listener listen, hear. I mean, Jesus even said that in other passages, right, earlier in Mark. So here's the heading. Watch out for the Antichrist. We have to watch and wait. And so just, I mean, don't, you don't need to go out and watch it, okay? Don't give him any money. I, I like Ke- Kevin Sorbo. I think he's great. But Kevin Sorbo is coming out with an, I saw him at the Orlando airport uh, about a couple of years ago. He's a real tall guy. But, the, but he's, there's a new movie, Left Behind, he's playing in, called Left Behind, <laughs> the Antichrist. You know, so now we get to find out what, you know, who the Antichrist is and how they portray the Antichrist. Don't watch that. Don't do that. You don't need to watch The Chosen. You don't need to watch the Left Behind series. You have the Bible. It's way better. And your imagination, you, have, you, could, you could interact with the Holy Spirit who wrote the scripture and say, what is going on here? What does he look like? What, is, what do I need to watch for? You have everything that you need. Everything you need for life and godliness is in the scriptures. You don't need to watch what, how Hollywood portrays these things. Because all they're trying to do is get some sort of cessationalism, right? They're trying to whip up some emotion and get you scared so you go to bed, you know, praying to Jesus for three nights and then, and then it just you know, it kind of falls away. Jesus is looking for full-time followers. Full-time followers. Not just people who are scared for a passage or a movie because we're going through the, uh, you know, the, the end times and scares everybody and now we need to go home, be a good boy, good girl and, and, and make sure we're, because I hear people, I'm saying this because I hear people say that even. Even I watch certain YouTube videos and I'll kind of find out, okay, man, what are they trying to do? What are they trying, what angle are they trying to come at? They're trying to scare you. They're trying to take your money. They're trying to get you to do what they want you to do. And it's just, it's gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna fall wayside and you're not gonna be able to find out exactly uh, what the Lord wants us to do here. So he told us everything in advance for our benefit. And so let me just give you a couple of theories that are going on for the Antichrist, and then we'll get into it a little bit more here, okay? So number one theory, Emperor Caligula in AD 37-41 attempted to erect statues of himself in the temple and had them worship him as God. So the problem with this theory that this is the abomination of desolation, the problem with it is that the Jews did not flee uh, 
to the mountains. In fact, people started going, uh, as historians say, Josephus, people started coming into Jerusalem. Also, in this case, the statues did not get erected uh, in the temple. Um, And so, most likely, the abomination of desolation did not happen in 37 to 41. Remember, there's going to be many antichrists. And there have been thousands of antichrists who have happened in the last 2,000 years. But he's talking about the Antichrist. This is eschatological, meaning that this is future. So let me just give you the second theory. Some people have said it was Emperor Titus. And that, uh, but the problem is that he came in in AD 70, which is most likely a partial fulfillment. The only problem with that is, is Jesus is talking about that it, it happened uh, maybe in the winter time. Uh, some scholars say that that would have not have happened, although he, did, he does say pray for, um, pray that it doesn't happen in the winter. So maybe their prayers were answered because it, the, the, des- the destruction of the temple happened in the summer, happened in September of AD 70. Um, and we have record. If you go to Rome, make sure you visit Paul's prison. You'll see that right there. You'll see a little etched, it's etched in stone. You'll see in AD 70, uh, the people of Rome went uh, to Jerusalem to uh, destroy their city. And so it's, it's on record there too as well. And they brought back one of their leaders into prison. They died there in the Roman prison where Paul and Peter died. But also um, that probably, that theory of Emperor Titus being the final fulfillment of that is probably not uh, true as well because uh, people um, should have fled to the hills. In this case, Jesus is saying flee to the hills, get out of Jerusalem. But yet the refugees were fleeing into Jerusalem before the war um, and many died there. So, um, again, if it, you know, it, it's probably of some sort of partial fulfillment, but most scholars, pretty much 99% of them that I've read, all say this is partial fulfillment and that we're talking about something that's happening in the future. So there will be an Antichrist that comes um, into the future, and we're going to read Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, in a second here that I'll tell you a little bit more of who this person is. Um, but before we get there, you can look up three passages later on your own. Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31, and Daniel 12.11. These speak of the abomination of desolation. It speaks about the, the end times of, uh, again, there's a partial fulfillment there uh, in that uh, Antiochus, um, the, the fourth the Seleucid king uh, controlled Israel from 175 to 165. He called himself the manifest God. Um, basically sacrificed a pig in the temple. He desolated the temple. Uh, he forced the priests to eat meat um, and to worship uh, the Zeus idol. And so these things were happening. Um, Antiochus also oppressed the Jews, killed many of them. Um, and that was, you could find that in Daniel 11.31. Um, and then in, if you want to read uh, kind of the, the intertestamental period, as you call, from 400 B.C. to the time of the time of Christ. You could look that up and find some partial fulfillments there. But again, this is eschatological. This is talking about something into the future. We're looking forward to a man named the Antichrist who will come and, and desolate the temple in the future. And then Daniel 9, 27 and 12, 11 describe an end times um, event, Daniel's 70th week. Uh, the Antichrist will set up his throne, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. He'll declare himself as God. Uh, read that uh, later on in Second Thessalonians here in a second. And then he pretends to be a peacemaker, but then he'll turn on Israel. He'll turn on the people of God. Um, and people will die for their faith. There'll be many, many, many martyrs. What does an abomination mean? I'm going to give you a couple of passages that will help you understand what are we talking about? What is the Antichrist? He's an abomination to God. And we also can be an abomination of God if we resemble these things here in Scripture. Leviticus 18, 22 to 29. Abomina- homosexuality to lay, for a man to lay with another man, a woman to lay with a woman, is an abomination to God. That's what it says there. Leviticus 18. Couldn't be more clear. Bestiality. Sex with animals is also an abomination to God. It's a perversion. This is exactly what the Antichrist, he'll be the epitome of a perversion. He will be the, the perverted one, I guess you could say, the abomination to God. A woman, uh, in Deuteronomy 22, 5, a woman shall not wear man's clothing, vice versa. That's also an abomination. Deuteronomy 25, 13 and 16, you shall not 
have, or you shall have a full and just weight. In other words, don't be cheating. Proverbs 11 also speaks about that. Having a false balance is an abomination of God. Cheating people in business is an abomination of God. It's to cheat, to, to, uh, to make more money, take more money home than you, than you, should, than you earned. Um, to cheat people out of their money. First Kings 11, 5 through 7, Solomon went after all these other gods. He did evil. He built a high place. That was also an abomination. There's also a slew of passages that talk about idolatry is an abomination, to have your own gods uh, that comfort you, that please you. Proverbs 12, 22, a, the lying lips is also an abomination to God. And then it, the key here is that Revelation 17, the city of Babylon is described as an abomination. It's an evil city against God. And then Revelation 21, 27 makes it very clear that no one who practices abomination will enter heaven. That's key. That's why we started off with Psalm 2 today and just... Even at the end of 2023, or 22, beginning of 23, now we start with repentance. Because none of us have lived up the way we should. And we need to start right, right with God. Daniel prayed. Nehemiah prayed on the behalf of the people. And that's what we did this morning, earlier. So now we understand what an abomination is. We're going to look at the person to come. Just turn together uh, to Second Thessalonians. This will give us more of a, of a, a view of who the Antichrist is. So 2 Thessalonians 2, the man of lawlessness is the title in my Bible in NESB, and chapter 2, 1 through 10. Okay, we're going to read, uh, I'm sorry, 12 verses. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So there were false teachers. So what Jesus said, even decades before this was written, right? He's saying there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be people that say already the, the, the Christ has come. They, you missed out. You're here. You're left, you're left behind, Right? And, and Paul's saying, don't listen to these people. People, Don't listen to these jokers. Don't listen to these guys. They're, they're leading you astray. They're discouraging you and they're putting fear in you. But this is what he says. Let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. So guys, th- we, we said this before. There's going to be a great falling away before the end comes. So your neighbors who call themselves Christ followers are going to fall away. Your your, it could be your parents fall away. It could be your siblings fall away. They could turn against you. It could be your boss who falls away, who is once a Christian. Now listen, you cannot lose your salvation. We'll talk about that at the very end. You cannot lose your salvation. But those who fall away never had it. They were never, in First John, it says that, First John 2, they were never of us because they left us. So there's gonna be a great falling away. He's saying, look, first watch that. Then, the man of lawlessness is revealed a son of destruction, the abomination of desolation, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God. He wants to be worshipped so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. This should, again, if you're a student of the Bible, this should send off alarms. Okay, this is what Jesus said in Mark 13. Displaying himself as being God. So, have you seen anyone thus far, like, you know, people used to say President Obama was the Antichrist. Did he ever claim to be God and ask for worship? No. Did President Biden ask for that? No. When you see the Antichrist on the scene, you don't want to be alive. You don't want to be here. Your kids don't want to be here. The way I parent is to prepare my little ones for those days. My job is to prepare you for these days, just as Christ's job was to prepare you for these days, just as Paul's job was to prepare you for these days. Amen? That's what fathers do. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? See, they already forgot. It's easy to forget it, especially when the false teachers come in, the rats come in. 
and they are among us. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that, that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with his breath, with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Amen. So when he comes, done. By the breath of his mouth. I mean, people are going to try, you know, every which way to maybe eliminate this guy with their own strength. We don't do that. We don't, we don't try to pick up the terrors. We don't do things on our own strength. That's just not what Christians do. We wait for our king to come back. We wait for him. And that's hard to do. And that's what Paul was actually telling them. He's like, look, you need to wait. You need to watch and wait. And you need to wait till he comes back. We're going to talk next week about his return. And we might hit on this again. That is, so, verse 9, that is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. So the Antichrist comes from Satan himself with all power and signs and false wonders. Satan can do false wonders. He can do signs and wonders. When people tell me, John, like even, in the, even as I'm reading through the, the 18th century right now, and Whitfield and Edwards are together and they're meeting together and they're talking about, hey, what is of, of God? What, what is of God and what is not of God? Like, you know, are, are these signs of God? Have you ever wondered, like the charismatics, if you're like, you know, wondering if Benny Hinn, you know, when he takes his jacket and he goes like this, everybody falls down. It's like, it must be the Lord. It must be God. No, Satan can do that. Satan could cause people to fall backwards. Satan could cause people. Now, God can also do that as well. Now, if you look at the distinguishing marks, right? Edwards wrote that. If you want to go back in history, you want to read some of this stuff, the eyewitness accounts, they said that some of these signs of people crying out loud and, you know, falling to the floor and weeping and because they're coming under such intense conviction of sin, that was of God. But also equally, Satan also counterfeited some of that. And then they began to say, well, this is of the Lord. That we, every time we meet, we have to have this. And that's what they're doing today, right? We see a lot of them. They're like, we have to have all these signs and wonders, signs and wonders, signs and wonders. But yet Whitfield, Edwards, a lot of those guys, they never came out and said that. They never said, we need to have these signs. Wesley was, was started off okay first, but then he started getting a little, you know, we won't go into it. But back to this, that, that when I, don't look at every little sign and healing and, and wonder and all that stuff from, from like, you know, you, you, everyone's got like a crazy aunt, maybe being in the charismatic stuff or whatever. Like, this has got to be the Lord. This is the Lord. This is what the Lord's telling me. This is the Lord's telling me. I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps. All this stuff. It's like, whoa. Goosebumps does not mean it's from the Lord. Like you getting all like having a panic attack telling me that it's the Lord does not, it, it does not mean that it's, that, it's, that it's the Lord. So the Lord put you in my, my life, you, gave you a panic attack, gave you a goosebump to tell me a message when I can find out what the message is from here. No. So, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved, many will be deceived. And many are, guys, if we have our lights on and we have our eyes open, we could see there's a lot of people deceived, like in our own city. A lot of people, and, and part of it is as we get stronger as a church, I want to help people and snatch people from the fire without getting burned myself. And I think it's important that we stay away for a little while so that we can help people in those days to come. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will be, believe what is false in order that they may be judged who do not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Man, that couldn't be more clear. That what an amazing passage of clarity. All right, so when will this guy come? I don't know, but these are the signs leading up to it, the, the earthquakes, the famines, the increase of wars, and all these things, and persecutions. So that's what we watch, and then we're gonna be ready for this. I love what this theologian said. We thus do not have foolproof sign in the abomination that causes desolation. The church throughout history has sought for infallible proofs of that end. For certain knowledge relieves us of the responsibilities of waiting and watching. Listen, the, profound, the profundity of this. Listen, to this. So, but the abomination that causes desolation is in no such sign. It requires scrutiny and watchfulness. It still requires us to wait. It still requires us to watch and wait. There's a mystery here, and we need to be ready. 
He's not giving us all the answers. He's not saying, this is what the guy's name will be. This is the date. So we can all just kind of like do whatever we want, not rely on God, and then wait for it. And then ultimately, in a way, if we're not relying on God, we're not relying on the Spirit, we're not in the Word, we're going to be swept away by it when it comes, actually. But listen, listen to this. I thought this was the best part. The salvation brought by Jesus is not a salvation of knowledge. Be careful about people who say they have a unique knowledge and a leg up on you. Salvation of Jesus is rather a way, a following, a faithfulness of standing guard at our, at our posts for no one knows about that day or hour. Causes us to rely on him. Be very careful of those people. Number two, not only the Antichrist watch for, but also the tribulation. These are shorter. All right, uh, we're gonna move here. Um, <laughs> watch for the tribulation. We need to watch. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9 says, it will come about in the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. And they will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, these are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. One third of the population living in Judea uh, will survive. And so these are, the, these, the, these are the times that are coming. Zechariah is talking about a future date. He's talking about, these are, there are many prophecies, like Isaiah 53, and right in the Bible, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, which we talked about at Christmas time, those have been fulfilled. But there are so many other passages of Scripture in the prophets that will be fulfilled in the coming days. They will come. I love what Jesus' practical advice is. What do you need to do when, when the great tribulation comes? Do we just take it? Do we stay? We become super spiritual? Are we going to be the fanatics that are like, no, we can deal with this. We can, come on, we could take the heat. We can be persecuted. It's going to be awesome. No, what does he say? Go. Get out. Run for your lives. Save your lives. Does that mean not relying on God? No. But don't presume that God's going to protect you when he tells you to go. Don't be the fanatic. Don't be the super spiritual one. Don't be that guy, because there are some of those people, right? We meet those people, the super spiritual, the fanatic. But then also, don't be fearful. Don't give in to fanaticism, but also, do not give in to fear. And do what Jesus tells you to do. If he says to flee, flee. It's practical advice, guys. I love that about our Lord. Very practical. Does that mean we leave when things get hard? No, he's not saying that. We press in. We persevere. He's not, he's not contradicting himself in those passages, when suffering comes, and when you're, when maybe when you will be martyred, I don't know, or imprisoned for your faith. We, we remain with him. We abide with him. But if someone's coming at you with an ax, you, you run. <laughs> you know, it just, it, the idea of that, right? It's just, just, just get out, move. You're not, if you just kind of dilly-dally, is what he's saying, and trying to go back and get your coat. They had roof, and the rooftops, they had outdoor uh, ways to get out. They had ladders coming from the outside. He's just like, don't go back inside, get your coat. He's saying just, if you're on the rooftops, you're hanging out, just fellowshipping with people, just go down the ladder and get out of the city. He's telling us something very practical. I love that. Paul was the same way. He was let down by a basket right in Damascus. He was also in the Alexandrian ship. He says, if you don't abide in the ship, you're going to die in Acts 27. So Paul took the means of God to be rescued, but he also trusted God to be rescued. He also, that, he, he did die and he faced martyrdom by Nero in Rome. All right, third part, the rescue. He saves the elect. So he says here um, at the very end that he's gonna save the elect. He's gonna save the people who are his. And what is he saying here? There's gonna be unparalleled horrors that, that'll characterize the end. It's gonna be absolutely crazy and God is gonna shorten those days. It's gonna be hell on earth. There's no really words to describe it. But for the sake of his people, for the sake of the elect, for the sake of you and I, he's going to cut those days short. They're not going to pro- be prolonged. They're not going to last forever. And what he's saying is that the elect will be saved. God's people are secure. Even though there's signs and wonders that will lead people astray, don't ever ha- you never have to worry about if, you, if God has saved you, if he's genuinely saved you, you never have to worry about losing your salvation. 
There's so many passages that speak about that. We don't have time to go through them. But John 10 is a great passage to look at. John 10, 28 to 29. Another great passage is John 6, 37 to 40. No one's gonna snatch you from the Father's hand and no one will snatch you from the Son's hand. You're sec- you're, you are secure. And then you got the Holy Spirit praying for you in Romans 8. Then you got Jesus praying for you in Romans 8. I mean, you got people praying for you. You got people holding you. No one's gonna snatch you. But you need to make sure that you are elect. You need to make sure that you are one of his. You need to make sure of that. See, there's both God's sovereignty and human responsibility happening. He's saying those who endure to the end will be saved. What does that mean for you? You need to endure. You need to not listen to false teaching. You need to stay in your word. You need to come to church. You need to be with the fellowship of the saints. You need to be obedient. Those things are, you know, it's like people say, well, is it the Holy Spirit or is it me? Have you ever been on one of those moving walkways at the, at the airport? I love those things. Aren't they nice? Sometimes they're crowded and you can't do this and I'll take the, the other way. But, you know, like it, it, half our family will take the moving walkway and then the other half of the family when we're going, we're traveling, they won't. We're trying to like beat who's gonna beat each other on the thing. But it's almost like that. Jesus, it, Jesus saves you by the Holy Spirit that's called monergistic, monergism. It's w- the Holy Spirit alone saves and regenerates you. You must be born again. That's what Whitfield said over and over and over again. People said, the, the woman, I remember the woman in the front asked him one time when he was preaching, why do you keep talking about being born again? I mean, it's all you talk about. He said, well, ma'am, it's because you must be born again. <laughs> I would love to meet Whitfield. One day we will in heaven. But he just, you, you, he talked about the being born again because it was the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot, you have no part to play in that. But in your sanctification, you are walking. I literally have to walk, but the moving walkway is under me, walk, walking with me. It's moving me. It's empowering me to move faster. It's, it's empowering me to move the direction of God. Work out your salvation. Work out the salvation that was put in you by the Holy Spirit so that you walk out your salvation in obedience with fear and trembling. The fear of the Lord. Amen? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a partnership with the Holy Spirit. Romans 7, with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, partnership to walk with God and to be obedient. That is exactly. So listen, you, to those who are like, you know, you came in this church reform, you're like, I'm the elect. That's what I've always been. And I don't know, I don't know what my life looks like, but all I know is I'm elect. Well, let me just say this. Does your life look like Christ more than when you got saved? Is there evidence of you being saved? And so I'd say for those people, they need, to, they need the affirmation that, look, you are, you are the elect. You're part of the elect. Paul did that in 1 Thessalonians. I'm not going to read it all. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 to 10. He, he saw their faith. He saw their love. And he saw their works. He saw their hope. And you know what he said? What did he say? You are the elect one. They turned from idols to God. And Paul said, because I saw, in the first 10 verses of that chapter, because I saw your life, I can affirm that you are elect. I confirm that you are, you are God's ones. Amen? So listen to what J.C. Ryle says. We have no right to take comfort from God's election unless we can show plain evidence of repentance and faith. And he goes on to say this. Let us cease to do evil. Let us learn to do well. Let us break off from sin. Let us lay hold of Christ. Let us draw near to God in prayer. So doing, we, will, we shall know and feel whether we are God's elect. You want assurance of salvation? Look more like him. Fall more in love with God. Actually take your 2022 year in review and say, do I look more like Christ? Do I have more, uh, you know, freedom over sin? Or do I look more like the devil and I'm only kidding myself? That's what he's saying. And I love what Whitfield says. He says this, we must begin at the grammar school of repentance and faith before we go to the university of election. We have no business talking about election, no business talking about the perseverance of the saints until we've repented and believed. That is grammar school. That is, that is elementary school. That is like, hey, you want to come to Christ? You want to be a follower of Christ? Obey. Walk with him. Look like him. Be holy as he is holy. And then you want to graduate from that and, say, and, and have assurance of faith and have, have that sense of I am God's elect and I, nothing will, will, will snatch me in the time of the end times and I won't be swept away. You better prepare for that now. 
and prepare for that in your life in godliness. That's what he's saying. That's what he's talking about. Let me close with this. I can have the band come up. Uh, you know, so many people say, um, you know, we, we need to uh, not be so heavenly minded so we're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that saying? Heard that? Can you tell me a soul that actually is so heavenly minded? I, I like to flip that on its head. I, I, th- I think people would be far more of earthly good if they were heavenly minded. And, and I think we need to think about heaven more. In, in ADS, our, our class, our night school that meets on Sunday night, we meet from four to nine for eight months. We, uh, I, I, it was like, um, kind of like, you know, when mom read to you, you know, at night, you know, just like mom's reading to you. So I came into class one day with Saints Everlasting Rest by Richard Baxter. It was like just me reading to the class. I just got a little chair up in the front. Felt like grammar school. Just kind of got up there and just said, all right, kids, young ones, we're going to read through this ancient text from 1548. And I, we're just going to go through this and, 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 and just marvel at this man who it cost him his, his life to follow Christ, but wrote this incredible work called Saints Everlasting Rest, and he made a great argument, very convincing argument, that you need to think about heaven more. And when you think about heaven more, you will actually persevere when times are tough. This is like your fuel. This is like what you need to eat before you go on an extraneous workout. You need to eat the right stuff. You need to consume the right things. And this is what he goes on to say. We don't know how everything will end, but we look forward to heaven and to Christ. When we have reached the harbor, we have finished sailing. When the workman has his wages, he has completed his work. All motion ends at the center, and all means cease when we have the end. Thus, there will be no more prayer, because there will be no more necessity. Only the full enjoyment of what we prayed for. We will not need to rest. We will not need to fast, weep, watch anymore, being out of reach of sin and temptations. I think that's the best part of heaven is that we won't have these temptations anymore. We won't have these thoughts that, are, that hurt the Lord, that hurt our lives, that hurt others. Nor will we need the instruction and the exhortation. Preaching is done. Ministry ceases. The sacraments are now past their use. The laborers are called in because the harvest is gathered. The tares are burnt. The work is done. The unregenerate are past hope. The saints are past fear forever. This rest contains a perfect freedom from all evils that accompany us through our course in this world. For nothing enters heaven that defiles or is unclean. Doubtless, there is no such thing as grief and sorrow there in heaven. Nor is there such a thing as a, safe, as a pale face, feeble joints, languishing sickness, groaning fears, consuming cares, or whatever deserves the name of evil. A gale of groans and a stream of tears will accompany us to the very gates, and there will bid us farewell, and they will bid us farewell forever. Our sorrow will be turned into joy, and no one will take away that joy forever. Isn't that awesome? We need to think about heaven more. You need to tell that college student on campus not to fret about that test or that breakup because heaven is before you. You need not worry about the future because God has you right in his hands. You give your life to him, you'll never have to worry about a day, another day in your life. You have this incredible place that is prepared for you. You could tell that coworker next time you see him and they're, they're struggling, they just lost somebody, just say there'll never be another loss in heaven. You better make sure that you're on the right side of the path in Psalm 1. And that's exactly what the Lord is telling us this morning, is that we need to think about heaven more. We need to think about the tribulation. We need to think about the Antichrist. We need to take some time to think about the end times and make sure that we are God's elect. It is very important that you consider that at the 1st of January, 2023. Because I don't know when the day is going to end. I don't know when the last day. I don't. And anybody tells you that, just ignore them. And go back to the scripture and say, this is what the Lord told me. 
And what matters is that I'm his elect. And you have an opportunity to, to be that elect one this morning. Give your life to him. Come to him. All your guilt and all your shame will wash away. It's as simple as trusting in him. Just as much as that chair is holding you up this morning, Christ will hold you up in the last day. I love that, the thief on the cross, right? He couldn't do anything, couldn't be baptized. He couldn't go through a 12-week discipleship class. He had no time. Birds just gouged out the other man's eyes. He was about to gouge out his. And he says, look, Lord, remember me when you go into paradise. And Jesus says, I will remember you. You're saved. You're my elect one. Took you this long? But you're in. And he'll have the same status as us in heaven. We're his people. So Father, thank you for giving us such a clear word in Mark 13 that you are coming back. It's very clear that you are. And you want us to be ready. You want us to watch and be ready. You want us to see the signs of the times which are increase of persecutions and wars and famines and earthquakes and disasters on the earth. But you want us to continue to be your witnesses on the earth. You want us to continue to run after you and spend time with you and to, to be in fellowship with the saints, to be with people that are like-minded. Do you want us to grow by reading the word, by reading good books, by thinking about heaven, by thinking about these things that will encourage us and help us to persevere all the way to the end. And we pray that we would be those people. We pray that we would be uh, a, a stronger people in 2023 by your strength, by your power, by the spirit. And Lord, help us to uh, repent uh, quickly this year. Uh, help us to, to uh, come before you. And like it says in 1 John 1, 9, that we can confess all of our sin to you and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we also thank you that we do have the opportunity, as it says in John or James 5, that we can confess to one another when it's appropriate, the right kind of confession, that, that we would be able to, uh, not to necessarily uh, receive more, some sort of more forgiveness or um, increase fellowship with you, Father, because we also, we have that with you by the cross. But you tell us to do that, and so we do that. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would prompt us when it's appropriate to uh, confess our sins to one another. But primarily, we need to confess our sin to you. We don't need to go to a priest. We don't need to go to another person for our sins to be forgiven. We need to go to you. And you will wipe all of the shame and the guilt away. And we thank you that that's why you died on the cross. Because you wanted to save people from their sin. And that's why you came. And we pray we never forget that, that we would preach the gospel to ourselves every day and that we would have the boldness to do that to our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship him.